Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, my name is Rashida Jones. And I feel fine about being Conan O'Brien's friend. <laughs> really? That's it? Fine? Just fine. You know what I'm getting? I'm getting a lowercase f. It was like three lowercase f's. Like, <laughs> fine. Fall is here. Hear the yell. Back to school. Ring the bell. Brand new shoes. Walk and lose. Climb the fence. Books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that Hey there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, the uh, podcast where uh, I force people to talk to me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is, it sounds like I'm kidding, but it's really not, especially during this pandemic. I'm so starved to talk to people, and uh, this is a complete scam. I apologize to everyone out there, but we're having a blast. We're having a lot of fun. Joined, as always, by my uh, trusty assistant, Sonam Obsession. It was your birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Sonam. Thank you. Happy birthday. Here's I'm, Matt Gorley. Hey, Matt. Hi, guys. Yeah. So did you do anything fun for your birthday? Yeah, I did. What'd you do? Well, I went on a hike with my mom. Then I went to Costco. Mm-hmm. Then I saw my nieces. Then I went to dinner. Okay. I've heard of better birthdays. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Costco's um, all I wanted. No, no. I'm just saying I went on a hike with my mom. That's a no-go for me. I mean, not with your mom. I mean, oh. but your mom is, she's great. I love your mom. I love my mom too. Yeah. I mean, I just said that. I don't, I don't know her that well, but she's lovely. You know her pretty well. And pretty yeah, well. she is a lovely person. So yeah. yeah but a hike fun. with her, just a hike with my mom and Costco. Uh, and then where'd you go to the old Red Rooster? What's your favorite restaurant? We went to a place called Cafe Santorini in Pasadena, which oh. is a lovely balcony. It's very nice that oh. we ate a kebab dinner, which is, <laughs> I know sorry. you're going to laugh because no, that's it's all just... I like to eat. Really? All you want in life is a kebab and uh, some uh, a dried fruit roll up, <laughs> and, and you're set for life, right? That's true. That's, That's and you're true. happy. You're very. Uh, uh, you're a cheap date. Oh come on! No, it's good. I mean, no. What's wrong? Is that an insult? No. So why'd you go? Come on. I don't know because I don't want to be a cheap date. I want people to work it. well anyway yeah Yeah, a walk with your mom costco and a kebab who could ask for more um gorley what's happening on your end oh nothing you know just uh not leaving my house yeah well you tell a fine story (laughs) and uh i can't wait for the movie and wait for the screenplay. Well, I'm not going to Costco, I can tell you that much. No, no. But, oh, you're worried about catching the... Uh, they, they, no, it's not, no, I'm not worried about that kind of The COVID thing. is a snob. It doesn't go to Costco. What? It likes to hang out at higher end stores. Come on! It's true. It's I've, I've actually talked to COVID, and COVID is like, I don't think so. You Too much co- riffraff. <laughs> I'll see you at Lord and Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it hangs out at, yeah, high-end, mostly hangs high-end stores. I think Costco can be high-end. Of course it can. I love Costco. I had a Costco card. I can't see you in Costco. I feel like I you feel it. overwhelmed. What do you mean? Like, because there's a lot going on, and I feel like you just walk in and be like, Ugh. No, I loved it. Okay. I loved it. I bought uh, 900 pounds of anything. <laughs> I just all, all I said was, I don't even care what it is. I just want 900 pounds of it. It does seem like you get lost and then end up staying the night in there. Yeah. yeah. 
well, oh, you're saying I would, not one? You mean I specifically would? Yeah, like you'd get lost in there and couldn't find the door, and then the lights would go off, and you'd just sleep in a, like, economy-sized bag of cereal. If you're going to get lost anywhere, get lost in a Costco. If you're going to be oh. trapped anywhere, get trapped in a Costco. When the funny. zombie apocalypse comes, I will go to a Costco, and I'll just hang out there. I mean, I'd eat 800 pounds of sugar pops. Uh, I would <laughs> sleep on a great inflatable mattress. Mm-hmm. I'd build a fort out of giant, massive, you know, uh, cases of Brillo pads. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the zombies wouldn't leave me alone. They'd just leave me alone. I'd watch nine televisions at the same time. Yeah. That's what I would do. I love it. Oh, what a dream. I would eat only those hot dogs, those like 60 cent hot dogs. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to say something, and I may be going out on a limb here, but you always know the best meat is the cheapest meat. Excuse me? The cheapest, uh, always pay as little as possible for any meat you're ingesting, and it would guaranteed to be the best for you and the highest quality. Sometimes I go to Ikea just to eat their meatballs, because you can have like oh, yeah. 20 meatballs yeah. Wait for a, minute. You go to Ikea, a $1.50. So you walk into an Ikea with a plate, and you don't even buy anything, you just load up on meatballs? Oh, I can do one better than that. Amanda and I have gone there just for dinner, not even to shop. <laughs> That's not true. You went to IKEA just to eat dinner. Yeah, just to have those meatballs and that whatever that lingonberry juice. Did you uh, did you sit at a table that you built? Yeah, and then uh, (laughs) and then eat your meatballs. I wouldn't touch that MDF particle board shit. Oh, Oh, snobby. Uh, Well, it's good enough for the rest of us. But I will eat their meatballs and how. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, full meal for three dollars. It's the best. Yeah, Yeah. and it's worth it. And good company. Yeah. Nice atmosphere. Uh, I'll go with you next time. Matt. I'll go to Ikea okay. with you guys for dinner. We'll take you for your birthday. Belated birthday double date to Ikea. That sounds good. I'm in. You're, you can't come. No, I can't go. I don't know. You just, you, you take a lot of the attention away and people will be like, oh, yeah. it's Conan. And I don't, Excuse me. I don't think they go, uh, it's Conan. <laughs> <laughs> I think they go, he's an icon. Oh my God. It's And then they hear corals singing and light comes in through the windows that's much brighter than sunlight. And I touch them and their wounds are healed. What? Anyway, yeah, I just love that. Oh, it's Conan. I don't think so. What is that, my son? That's what my son says. (laughs) My son's like, ugh. Every morning he goes, ugh, it's Conan. You can come. You can come to Ikea for meatball, but you're going to make fun of us the whole time. No, I'm not. You know me. I like to get- Yes, I do. That's why I said that. I enjoy the good things in life, and I I would go to Ikea for the meatballs. Uh I would go to Costco for the hot dogs. Uh Uh-huh. I just hang out at gas stations sometimes to work the air pump because it's free. (laughs) I do. I just go to gas stations and I'm like, is the air free? And they're like, yeah. And then I just spray it into the air. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's like wasteful. And they're like, "Uh, sir, are you? And I'm like, you said it was free, right? Yeah, but are you going to inflate anything? (laughs) You said it was free. And then they're like, wait a minute. Are you? Lights. Choral music, no. angels. No, no. I heal the lepers. Oh my no. God! Are there any lepers out there? Ugh. I'll heal them. Uh, all right. Enough of our tomfoolery and skullduggery. Yes, please. Uh, we must continue. We should continue. Yes. Yeah. We should. We absolutely should. <laughs> we're not done. We're only getting started. Yes, we're just getting started, and we must go on. I don't even know who I. <laughs> I know. I started. What was that? I was gonna do a Kennedy impression, and then I stopped halfway through, and uh, it was like John F. Kennedy uh, with a mouthful of milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> Swallow the milkshake, JFK. Uh, it's too cold. I got brain freeze. That's a Jimmy Stewart now. Yeah, that's Jimmy, no, Jimmy Stewart, you say. With a milkshake. That's what I've just realized, is that when John F. Kennedy drinks a milkshake and doesn't swallow it because he's afraid of brain freeze, he turns into Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> That's not what you can do for your country. That's, that's what your what your country can do for you, you see. Oh, my God. Enough of our skullduggery tomfoolery yeah. and Bill Baggery. Uh, my guest today is a talented actress, writer, and director who starred as Ann Perkins in the hilarious NBC series Parks and Recreation, or as I like to call it Parks and Rec. That's my own nickname I came up with. Mm. Now you can see her alongside Bill Murray in the new film On the Rocks, available on Apple TV Plus this Friday. 
What can I say? I adore her. I'm excited to talk to her. Rashida Jones, welcome. You know, I'm gonna. I, I want to fill the listeners in uh, on something, which is, and this has not happened before, but we were all set to talk to you when we had a complete engineering meltdown on our end, the likes of which I, I could not hear you. I could hear you. You could hear me. I started doing a bit that I thought was hilarious about how I really didn't want to talk to you. Yeah, it was funny. Um, <laughs> like, what Yelp review would you give that bit? It would be like it would be like two and a half stars, but then in the review, it would be like nine. Nicer than the stars, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm doing that. And then we lose you completely. And I was thinking, wait a minute. I was just doing that bit like, oh, good. I'm going to talk to Rashida, you know, knowing that you could hear me. And then thinking, what if I don't get to talk to you again because this whole thing blows up and you leave like, fuck him. Right. Uh, And then I went into a shame spiral. (laughs) So then we had a deep shame spiral. So then I'm yelling it at my Mike, get a hold of Rashida's people. We're sending her something amazing today. She's like my favorite person. All true. And so I think we're sending you a pony right now. <laughs> That's <think> we- <laughs> not amazing. <laughs> what do you um, mean? A pony is great. Wow. Wait. That's, I'm so sorry that you had, I can't believe that you don't have enough faith in our actual friendship to think that, or my, or my, my uh, nuanced approach to comedy to think that after all that, I would be okay. I thought maybe you've changed in the oh. two weeks since I last saw you. I okay. thought maybe you'd become a different person. It's possible. <laughs> it's, it's COVID times. Anything's possible, you know. I think it's okay to talk about, I'm not saying too much here, but uh, I was on a beach and uh, I was wearing a, a European Speedo and nothing else. And I ran into <laughs> you and your extremely talented uh, man, Ezra, and uh, your lovely child. And then one thing led to another and we were all back sitting in front of, uh, sitting on a beach deck. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to give a shout out to these people. You brought this uh, drink that I had never heard of before. Yeah. Do you remember the drink? Uh, It was this... White Claw. White Claw, yes, White Claw. <laughs> White Claw. Ezra, Ezra turned oh. me on to it, yeah. White yeah, claw. White Claw. And you guys were like, you've got to have this. It's White Claw. And I thought, what are they talking about? And I had some of it. It's like a seltzer that I think has some, it's like a hard seltzer. Yeah. I had about 15, felt nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're tall. Yeah, very tall. You were very kind to drive me to the hospital. <laughs> um, you and Ezra were say- Ezra was saying, I'm telling you, this has become a thing, White Claw. And look, I'm going to be very I'm not getting paid. White Claw would probably pay me not to mention them. I'm sure I'm a death knell for any product. But the next day, I saw all these cool young people walking around the beach holding White Claw. And I thought, you guys know what's happening. I don't. I'm a little older, and Ezra's definitely more in touch with the youth. And uh, he had told me that it outsold, White Claw outsold beer at Coachella, I think last year, it's really like making its mark. It has, be- it looks so beautiful because it looks healthy. Yes, it's a beautiful can. Yeah, and and it has like enough alcohol, but then it doesn't look like it has alcohol. So like you don't feel like you're, I don't know, maybe breaking the law. Is that, a, can you break the law by having open alcohol in California? I think that's a, is that a law break? Yeah, I think you were all breaking the law. Okay. <laughs> uh, but again, so we're, the next day I saw everybody else carrying these things around. And I have to say, you drink it and you're like, there's no alcohol in that. And then you try more and then you try more. Um, and I was pouring like turpentine into it to uh, get a kick. But uh, it was fantastic. I really liked it. only gave you one can, just one can. I know. Can. <laughs> I'm trying to put it out there that I'm in. <laughs> yes, that's true. You gave you me one can. Think, you want people to think your tolerance is low? Why? What's the benefit of that? I don't know. It just might, it's something to remember me by. It's something, it's a hook. Like it makes you seem sort of fragile? Yes. Like less fragile? Yeah, vulnerable. <laughs> it feels me feel vulnerable. Oh, Conan, look out. He has... I don't know. I'm playing around here. I just wanted to give okay. a shout out to White Claw and how much I loved hanging shout out, out to with White you. Claw. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm sending you. I'm sending you a pony and like seven drunk cases. On White Claw. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a delight. <laughs> well, I know what the ladies like. Trust me. Uh, I am. Uh, I am delighted to talk to you because I've, I've always been a big admirer of yours. Uh, and we've gotten friendly over the years, and I 
am so impressed with the way that you've handled your career and made it so multidimensional. And I was thinking, I have this theory, and you tell me if you think I'm right. I always thought it helped as a child if you don't quite know what your niche is. You don't quite know. There are some people that early on, they know they're a jock or they know they're this, they know they're that. And then there are some people that haven't, they don't quite know how they fit in. And I always felt part of your fuel might be that you maybe as a child didn't quite know. You know what I mean? Am I a this? Am I a that? Do you know what I mean? Am I a... Are you trying to say that I don't excel at anything? Because that's how I feel. <laughs> that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah, that's what you're saying, right? You excel at nothing. nothing. No, you excel at you. You, But you know what I'm saying is that you. Yes, have... I do. I do. I do. I do. I think I, I feel like if I had a skill, the skill would be that I'm like pretty good at several things. You know, like I don't I don't I definitely didn't put all my eggs in one basket because I just didn't I didn't have that natural gift. You know, when somebody has like an incredible voice, they have no choice. They have to be a singer and then they have to try to be the best singer of all time, which will take their talent and then add some skill to it and push them to the next level. But I I definitely didn't have that thing that stood out. So I like kind of got good at a lot of things. And also I'll just say to my, my parents credit, but my dad always encouraged me to be good at two things. He was, even though he, obviously he believes in, you know, honing your skills and your talents. Like he, he was the one who was like, diversify, diversify your skill portfolio. That's so amazing coming from your dad. I mean, major figure of the 20 slash 21st century kind of success and clear ability that he was like saying, yeah, you got to hedge your bet. That's the kind of advice that if your dad had been like a CPA or like a pool cleaner, he'd say, yeah, don't put it all in one place. You know, that's, but it is very intelligent advice. But I think he also, I mean, he, it's, it's all within music, but he did excel at several things within music. So he could pivot. So if he was producing and there wasn't work happening from producing, he could go try to hustle scoring movies. And then if that didn't work out, he could, he could always do arrangements and get paid per arrangement. So, you know, he had some variety within his, within his world. So that's kind of, I think what he meant. Like he, he was like, it's fine if it's, it's it both, they're both in entertainment, but just try to be good at two things, not one. I've heard you say in interviews that you're half black, half Jewish, you're bluish, which is uh, uh, a term I, I can't relate to that. I am not that. I am 100%. I'm 110% You're literally Irish. none of that. I am none of that. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't even be talking about being bluish uh, because I so can't relate. But what I can relate to is as a kid, I tried a bunch of things. And for a while, I thought, I'm not going to be in show business. Uh, I just have to be a good student. That's what I have to be because there's no way I'm ever going to be in show business. And then I found out that your trajectory was kind of the same in some ways, yeah, right? very much so. I mean, I, I think probably what I was doing that you weren't doing, I was rebelling against my family because, you know, I was like, oh, everybody's in show business, so I'm not going to do that because I'm going to do something dangerous, like be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> I'll show them. I'm going to, I'm going to be a tax attorney. That'll show them. <laughs> but it was, it was my, you know, everything's relative. That was my way of rebelling was like d- deciding I was going to be an academic, you know, um, and a, and a really good student. And, you know, and it, you know, it was just like a way to individuate. So yeah, I had the same thing as you where I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be in show business because I also, at the time, I thought like show business is flighty. It's it's it doesn't require anything but like the need to be looked at and seen, you know. And I think right. once I got over that, m- like my the reason I did it was I don't think it was because I wanted to be. Oh, maybe it was. I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze, but because I wanted to be like accepted or seen or said yes to. But once I realized there was something else to it, and there was like a bit of a craft and and a science to it. I, I, I found it interesting, but I think I had to like make it my own first because I, it was so, I was so steeped in it growing up, you know? No, it almost feels like a comedy sketch where 
your mother and father are both very famous, accomplished people who are entertainers. And then you, you know, get accepted to Yale Law School and they act like you're in a cult and they're trying to get you out. <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And they're coming by and they're saying, just come get in the van, get in the van, get in the van, come no, with us. Listen. They didn't want to deprogram me because the truth is both of my parents, because they're so curious and loved reading and wanted to just absorb the world. I think they were pretty psyched that that was that was what I wanted to do, because there's some part of them. Obviously, we're related, but there's some part of them that wanted that for themselves, too. And for so many reasons, they didn't pursue that. And you were, would you have say that you were a nerd then growing up? Were you? Yes. I know it's like, it's so cliche. And I feel like every Hollywood actress is like, I was a nerd, but I was, I was, I had a computer in 1980. Was it 88 when it was not cool to have computers. Very few people remember that there was a time where only nerds had computers and not the entire world. You had a computer before Steve Jobs and then he saw (laughs) yours and was like... I started Apple. He took it from me. (laughs) (laughs) So awkward. No, but he was like a hero to me. I mean, my Apple 2C Plus was my life. My floppy disks and my modem and my printer and my Apple IIc Plus were my life. This is how old I am because my senior year in college, 1985, I had to write a thesis, like a 100-page paper, and I didn't have a computer, but there was one in the Mather House. There was in a closet in Mather House, and it looked like a refrigerator, (laughs) and you'd put a floppy disk in it, and then it was coin-operated. So you would feed coins into it, and then you would get to use it for like 20 minutes. No way. No, and so I went, and I got all these coins, and I had them in a red bucket, and I was jamming coins in, and then it would give me 20 minutes, and I'd say, "Uh, William Faulkner clearly was operating on a level of, "Uh what's that? word are you sure it wasn't just like an arcade game you weren't just yelling at galaga you know what i didn't do well on the thesis i think it was an arcade game <laughs> i think you're right my favorite thing though it really like, was Conan, a computer go in that room and feed, feed the computer oh. coins and Ooh, talk okay. to it and it'll write your yeah. thesis for you i just wrote a thesis on faulkner and i blew up a planet at the same time Good job, Conan. It was a real. Everyone was laughing at me, but I did get the high score right. on Galactica. Right. Uh, my favorite thing was that it was the size of a refrigerator, and it was chained to the wall as if someone was going to take this thing. Oh. You would need nine hundred people and a mule to oh take this God. thing. The kids will never know now. They'll they'll never understand how different it was. Though they like, won't. I I remember writing my thesis, and I had I had a computer, but. I had to order all the books, all of my research I had to order like a year before because how else was I going to, we didn't have the internet. So how was I going to research? And I had to order a program because I wrote my thesis on Indian philosophy. So I had to order a program to like transliterate into Sanskrit so I could get all of the characters that I needed to write. I mean, it was a whole, I had to be so prepared, which is very hard to do when you're 20, like barely get out of bed, you know? I never thought I'd be at this point, but I got to this point so quickly that I, I'm, I'm talking like an old man to my children. And I realized at one point, there's a generation gap between me and my younger brother, who when he was in college, everybody had a computer. They noodled yeah. around. They cut and paste some stuff on the internet. They pressed return. They got a paper. And I was using a typewriter and a refrigerator that was really an arcade game. And so, uh, and, and he's, you know, whatever. He's 10 years younger than I am. So there's a huge gap between me and my youngest brother, Justin. So, but this brings me to my next point, which is that one of the things that I always relate to with you is uh, there's a practicality that I feel like did come from, must have come from your parents, where so many people would give their left arm to have the on-screen, which television or film, the work you've done, you've, you've had a fantastic career and you were saying to yourself the whole time, I need to be a writer and I need to find out more about how to produce, how to make things, how to direct, how to get behind, how to write, how to get behind the scenes. 
And I remembered feeling no one ever wanted me really to be on camera. That was more accidental than anything else. And I'm serious. I'm not being false. I don't, uh, and no one would certainly ever want me in a movie, but I feel like you could easily have thrived just being an actor. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that same thing you were talking about where I don't, I didn't, you know, I didn't have this kind of preternatural gift for one thing. Like, I, I think the, the, thing I probably like the most about myself is I will, I could probably do okay in most places. Like I could, if, if you took away all my, all of these things I've been so lucky to have and like dropped me somewhere and told me I had to get like a corporate job or drop me somewhere and I had to be a barista or drop, I would probably do okay at like most things. Like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm pretty adaptable in that way. And I think I looked at the long game of acting and it wasn't as much about fulfillment as it was about like, oh, like this business is really sexist. Um, So the opportunities for women, they start to just like drop off a cliff at a certain age um, if you don't generate material yourself. And then also like also just in terms of material, like you are you are bound to what other people make always. Like your opportunity is fully tied up. It's like, it's like playing the stock markets. You're like, Oh God, a huge crash. Like all of those stocks are buck today or whatever. Like it's that all the time with acting, you know, we're like, you can't all, it's like all of your money is in this bank that somebody else is controlling. And it just started to feel like, I don't think this is like a great place for me because I do have friends and I know people that I really respect who they love to disappear into parts. They love to give themselves over to directors and movies and scripts in a way that's like beautiful, magical to watch. But I don't think I have that skill set that makes me perfectly compatible with that as a lifetime career. Right. When I ran into you a couple of weeks ago, the first thing I said was because I had I think I had watched it a week before was the documentary that you, Quincy, that you made about your dad. And I was really impressed with it because I thought it's so difficult, I would imagine, to make a documentary about your father, someone you're that close to and that emotionally tied to. And yet I thought it was also a very emotionally complex piece of work. It wasn't just, dad's the greatest. Do you know what I mean? You really showed so many different layers there. And I thought- uh, I was really impressed with it. It's a fantastic documentary. Uh, and you. that's you really, I, I guess that took a long time to do. Yeah. It took about six years from when I first started filming to when it was on Netflix. I mean, thank you for saying that. I, I had a partner, my Al Hicks, who was my directing mm-hmm. partner, was so essential because he is not my dad's daughter and he loves my dad and they knew each other, but he's like Australian and mellow and could see things from a distance in the way that right. I couldn't, you know? Um, but, but yeah, my, uh, the whole idea was, uh, there's no way I can do this movie unless I tell the truth and I can't tell the truth unless I really have ownership over what the final product is. My dad was very cool. was like, don't show me anything until you're done. Thank God. Cause I, I think that's the only way we could have done it, but there were lots of times when we were filming, especially, you know, there's an incident in the movie where my dad almost dies and, yeah. you know, we had stopped filming completely. And I, I, you know, we, I was, it was crisis mode for our family, but my brother and I both kind of filmed a little bit in the hospital really to show my dad after the fact what he, what it looked like to us because he was so out of it and it was horrifying you know, he, just to see it's how, how it's helpless awful. he was yeah but we made that decision to put it in there because we had to tell the whole story and tell the truth and also because thank god my dad recovered and you know we we wanted to do that as a means of intervention to get him to stop drinking and he just kind of woke up and was like i'm not drinking anymore which is you know, he's a beast. He's, he's a whole different species of human being. Um, just stopped drinking in his eighties for the first time in his life, but he loves life. And so he kind of chose life in front of his, in front of his drinking, but, but we had to put that in. And that was, that really, to me was, it defined the movie in a sense, because we got to be honest. And like, that's, that's my job as a daughter really is to, is to let him, be seen by the world the, in, in all the ways that he should be seen, you know? Yeah, I think he's one of those artists where the more you see of him, 
Uh, it's almost it's akin to John Lennon, where if you see if you see the highs, the lows, if you see the more you see of the struggle, the more you admire the person. Yeah. You know that that this idea that a documentary, if you want to serve someone well, should only show them as a heroic figure and it should be propaganda. Mm-hmm. That's no, you don't end up being that attached to the person afterwards. I don't like those kinds of movies because I feel like I'm being lied to anyway, you know? Well, I would like it if it was about me and it- Yeah, I know, I'm sure. The whole point was- <laughs> You and your, your high alcohol tolerance? Yeah, incredible. He can have so many white claws. Uh, he's, you know, he's highly sexual. Uh, he's flawless. Like something like that flawless. that shots. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, just, I no, would like- I do. I just- Listen, wait till your kids get to that age. And I'm sure that they'll make a documentary about how perfect you are. (laughs) Sona knows my children. She knows what a hit job that documentary is going to be. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The savings rock when you find a new way to roll. Like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. My kids are uh, so very chill whenever a celebrity is around and they are so determined to be, that's not important. We don't care about that. And I had a Christmas party and you were there and you stayed a little later and my kids were upstairs freaking out that you were really? in yes in this really I've been cute your house way so many times it's and it was funny because uh the first time you came over my son has a way of not always tuning into what's happening around him i think he sailed through the room uh said hi to a bunch of people said hi to you this is you know i don't know two three years ago went out the other side of the door and then realized in retrospect that you were there so he freaked out retroactively they adore you and we'll, oh, we'll have nice. they'll, they'll we'll have heads of state well there's a reason that i'm friendly with heads of state uh <laughs> and that i have them to my house uh, i i think i could probably be an effective leader uh, of the world uh, yeah uh, you are an effective is, leader thank you no but anyway they uh, they uh i also like it when they admire somebody who i know to be like that's the kind of person you should be admiring this is someone who's really worked hard and and is multi-talented and a really decent human being, that's the person. They don't give a shit about that. They do, actually. Do they? It's important to them. Yeah, they do care about that. They do. Oh, okay, it's why It's why they don't like Tom Hanks, who's a notorious <laughs> what fuck. A, what a dick. Whenever someone's thing is, I'm, you know, he's such a nice guy, you know what it's covering for, but we won't talk about it, it now. Is, we it's, can. it's actually ridiculous, like, how, how lovely he is. 
I just, it's, yeah. it always blows my mind. He and Rita are like the nicest people in the world. They're very kind people. He's like the kind of guy that just comes by yeah, every now man. and then with, with plasma. He'll just say like, do you want some plasma? You know? Uh, you want that like, hand no. strain? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, yeah, I, I'll take it. You know, um, I was going to ask you about working with Sofia Coppola. I know you guys have, you have a history. You guys have known each other for a really long time. Yeah, we have. We, um, we've been friendly for a long time and I met her through my acting coach. I was doing a workshop in my 20s and Sophia came to kind of like get some directing acting knowledge and um, she was workshopping a movie and I got to work with her for like a month and I played that character in Lost in Translation that Scarlett Johansson ended up playing. That And that was like by far the coolest thing that had ever happened to me as an actor. I didn't get the job, but right, just right. being able to work with her and, you know, get into a character that deeply at the time I was like, just, you know, auditioning for like law and order guest star spots and, you know, things that were like, not that that's not meaty, but you know what I mean? Well, were you like a, were you a body on uh, law and order? Can I tell you something? One of the biggest regrets of my life is that I never booked law and order. Like it's a rite of passage when you move to New York and you're an actor, like Every single actor has done an episode of Law and Order, and I haven't. I wish, I but I have joking, played a dead body. Yes, I, I have. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I have it here. You have played a dead body more than you've fifteen times. You've played dead bodies. I in, have. And, no, I and haven't. well into no. your. No, no, I'm kidding. You're gonna people are gonna say <laughs> what? Once. Be funny if you were doing it. I would like to do it late in my career when I don't have to be doing it. I would like to be a body, and I'd always like to the cop standing over me to go, "What a mess!" Well, they, like, Ugh. Can't even recognize. And then they start talking about features that aren't a result of my wound. They're just features. Look at those thin lips. Look at those beady eyes. So that's what a dead guy looks like. Oh, wait, he's not even dead. (laughs) Whoops. Then I get up. Hey, guys, cut it out. (laughs) Well, actually, speaking of, I think that Bill Murray, my my movie dad, played the dead mayor of Pawnee on Parks and Rec. Was that what it was? He was I know he was in a casket at a certain point. I don't know that. I didn't know that. He had a he had a guest he he had a guest role on Parks. Yeah. You're gonna have to fact check that. Somebody who's not drunk. Um I sober up pretty quick. Uh (laughs) I'm you know, I'm curious about you read for the part that Scarlett Johansson played in Lost in Translation you know, as a, as a favor to Sophia and to help her out. Then Scarlett Johansson gets the role. If I were you, I would have been, every time I saw the movie, I'd shout out, I'd have done that differently. I'd have done that. I'd have, even if I went and saw it in the theater, I'd have stood up and said, not the way I did it. Mine was more subtle. One of my favorite stories is uh, a, a friend of a friend who's like an actor was having like a, a, a pretty rough time getting jobs and, you know, just spending a lot of time at home with his kids and his four-year-old, my friend was over and the four-year-old was watching Spider-Man and go, Spider-Man, Spider-Man and said, uh, and <laughs> said, Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Victor Spider-Man. Um, he said, uh, yeah, I almost got that role. The four-year-old, because he had heard his dad say it so much while they were watching movies. He's like, I almost put that. <laughs> That could have been me. Right, could have been me. If I had a parrot uh, that lived with me, uh, it would always be saying, "He's not that funny." (laughs) (laughs) People make too much fuss about him. (laughs) Shut up, parrot. (laughs) I think I've aged. No, but I do. I think I think (laughs) actors and parts are destined for each other. You know, like that. Obviously, Lost in Translation, like that was a moment, an iconic moment, and it could have only ever been Scarlet and Bill, you know? But you know what's so great? So now you're working with Bill Murray, and I can't even imagine. I, uh, again, I, I do not have your skill set. I am not an actor, but I think if I was in a scene with Bill Murray, I'd keep stepping outside my body and saying, oh, that's so cool. I'm in a scene with Bill Murray. Like, this is... It's surreal and confusing as an as like a long-time admirer of his. But, you know, the, the good news was we had worked together before. So mm-hmm. it wasn't... Like, if I was just stepping out, I probably would have been recast because it is a lot. It's a lot to digest. But we are friends and we've worked together before and, 
you know, not for this many days in a row ever, but I was in uh, the Bill Murray Christmas special that Sophia directed and Bill did an episode of my show, Angie Tribeca. Yep. So we had a little bit of experience on camera, but yeah, no, it was completely and utterly nerve wracking. He's also, um, I know him and I don't know if he changes into a different person. I've always known him in this comedy context. He's always been very nice to me and very Bill Murray, you know, like I, mm-hmm. who, but I don't know if you're working with him in an acting situation, if he changes in any way, or if he's still Bill Murray, do you know what I'm saying? He's, I do. I do. I mean, he is, you know, he's, there's something about him. He's just mysterious. He's, he is a, sort of an Island of a person, but as an actor, he's very available and, present and and listens and also does so many beautiful things without doing anything like he just is has a very very fine-tuned instrument going on there not just with comedy but with with all of it with the emotion you know but yeah there is something that's always going to be like the the minute we stop rolling he's you know like Bill Murray and then we're on the street and everybody wants to hang out with him. Everybody wants to have an experience with him. And I don't think that'll ever change, but I do feel like I probably know him pretty well. We spent a lot of time together and, and I, I know him pretty well. And I do, I really adore him as a, as a human being. I was at a party years ago and my daughter, it was the first time we, my wife and I went to a party after our daughter was born and she was a couple of months old, but we just went to this party because we thought we can do it and we'll bring the baby. And it was like a new year's party. And Bill Murray was at this party and I was holding my daughter who was just a couple of months old and rocking her. And he went, no, 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 no. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. (laughs) This is how you do it. And what I'll never forget is that he had a drink in his hand, like a gin and tonic, and he put it in the breast pocket of his jacket. He jammed a gin and tonic into the, in a, in a tumbler glass into the vest, you know, like the breast nipple pocket of his sports jacket. Took I don't think they call baby. it a nipple pocket. I'm sorry. I call it the nipple pocket because I cut a little hole in there so I can put my finger in and rub my nipple and people think I'm trying to get the lint out. So don't judge me, Rashida Jones, if I want to rub my nipple through a secret hole I made. All right, fine, 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 fine. Anyway. I digress. I digress. Jesus Christ. Anyway, he jammed that drink in to the breast pocket of his jacket and then proceeded to instantly rock my child to sleep. And I thought I wouldn't let anyone else who was holding an alcoholic drink and jammed it into their pocket like that. But it's Bill Murray, and I know everything's I know. going to be okay. Everything's he does going have magic to be okay. About him. He Sophia and Bill both have a magic about them. And it's infuriating because it's it's ineffable, it's yep. indescribable. But if you're if you're near it or around it, like you get some of the kind of like you know, the, the aftershocks of it, or like, you know, you you just kind of want to stand close to them so that you can like get some of the charm or the, you know, but they both have it where they just like, they create like an atmospheric, like an orb almost. Um, and when you're in it, it's, it's like a really, really nice place to be. Well, I think it's genius casting that he's your dad in this, you know, I, I, I think it's, you can tell that just, it just feels like there's a lot of affection there and that there is a history there that's real between a father and a daughter. And then of course, obviously there's this the stuff that we would all have with our parent. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's real too. Like I love Bill and also he drives me crazy. I think maybe that's made me suitable for this job because I wasn't just going to be fully enamored with him in a way where I couldn't break him down when I needed to, you know, right. that's kind of an important part of this character too. But yeah, hopefully it is relatable. I mean, there's obviously some stuff overlap with me and and my dad because my dad has a big, glowy personality that everybody yes. wants to be around. But I think in general, like it's just relatable in the sense that daughters of fathers and fathers who love their daughters, it's it's hard to figure out who you are. Like through all that light and love of your dad, like you have to also get past that and figure out what you want your life to be like and who you want to be outside of being a daughter. Going through that, my daughter's about to be 17. And, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time just 
you, one day you're a dad and then uh, you can spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, I, am I doing this the right way? Am I being the dad that she needs me to be? And uh, mm-hmm. there's, and, and obviously you don't want to overthink it, but my agents and manager tell me that she's fine. That's all you can do is just uh, outsource the parenting. <laughs> I'm told she's getting quite tall, uh, and I'm told she's happy. You get um, a picture every month. Well, every month would be excessive. <laughs> Once every six months, I get a, I get a drawing uh, that a police artist has done every six months. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I cannot say this enough. Uh, I think there are many people born maybe into your situation. And I, yes, I do credit your parents, but I also really credit you. You've, you're a very uh, impressive person. Um, I don't like to be nice on my podcast like this, but I know it's, you're, it's, you're, so, it's, it's I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I mean, no, it's, I'm, so nice. uh, it's so nice. Yeah. I'm like, I, uh, listen, you know, it comes from like, I'm so hard on myself and I, I wouldn't, you know, it's been a, it's been a lifetime of figuring out how to love myself in a real way where I can not, I'm, I'm so, I, I actually call myself names and I have to stop doing that, but I'm very hard on myself. So it's nice to hear you say it because I'm not going to say it. Are you getting better at it? Because and, and all joking aside, I when you said that you call yourself names, I have spent and Sona, you will back you will back me up on this. I am yep. brutally hard on myself yep. and mean to myself. I'll shout at myself out loud if I'm brushing my teeth, if because I'll suddenly remember something that I think I could have done better and. I don't like that. I do not want my kids to be like that. And I don't know how you got to it. I mean, to me, it's a work in progress, but I don't know. It's, I have to just work really hard. Like I have to, when I hear myself and I, you know, like I, I am aware of the way that I'm thinking, I just have to wonder if I would treat anybody else like that. And if I wouldn't, then I have to stop doing it. Um, I can't treat myself worse than I treat other people. It doesn't feel right. I have to treat everybody poorly. No, um, I, I, I just have to. It's Wait, a, it's I'm a writing real that, practice. I'm writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> it's a daily practice. It is a practice. And I think having children does help a lot yeah. because then you start to think, wait a minute, if yeah. anyone talked to my son or my daughter the way I just talked to myself, yes. I would kill them. Yes, exactly. I'd find a killing stick and I'd kill them. Exactly. Uh, but, exactly. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why, unfortunately, um, you're adept at both acting, but then also writing, because I think the writer's mind is hyper self-critical. It's weird too, because it's the kind of thing you don't want to get rid of altogether because it is, no, it, it is you can't. how you write and it is how you create. But like, can you control it so you only are critical with yourself when you need to be and not control me? I did want to say that um, I never questioned why I would be hard on myself, but knowing you and then hearing you say that you're have have not always been nice to yourself and that you've been really hard on yourself, I think. But you're Rashida Jones. Why would you do that? It's so weird. There's a disconnect. You know what I mean? You're just, there's a disconnect. Yeah. I don't see why yeah. you would ever do that in a million years. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure that everyone listening and you have so many fans uh, feel the same way, but that's how it is. And people should know that. That's just how it is. I mean, yeah. listen, I think, I think loneliness is the, is, the human condition is right. the baseline human condition. You come here alone, you leave alone. You have to figure out how to fill your time and, and also try to find joy through that. But those are all optional things. Yes. Like the, the bottom line is it's, it's hard to be alive. Obviously, you know, I won the lottery in so many ways and I would never not acknowledge the privilege of that. But being in, being stuck in your own head and your own emotions can sometimes be a chaotic place that nobody else would ever ever understand. Right. And so I, that's why I try my best to also not judge, you know, what there's a great, I think it's like an A expression. That's like, don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides right? because it's just not a fair comparison. You just don't know how people feel in their own bodies ever. So that to me is like just a tool to remain empathetic towards other people, including myself. And we do live in a culture of envy and Hey, uh, she's in movies and on television and gets to write and produce. And so her life is amazing. Uh, and they don't understand that it's complicated. My life is amazing, but sometimes I can't, 
feel that, yep. you know, like yep. I think a lot of people feel that way. Right. I saw that movie. Did you watch that show, show kids movie, that documentary about, Oh, it's, it's very good. It's made by Alex winter. You know, that yeah. actor, he's now a documentarian. Um, it's really good. And he talks to a lot of kids who grew up famous, Will Wheaton and, uh, Mila jo- Jovovich and right, right. Mara, what's her name? Mara Wilson, who played Matilda. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just talk about the experience of, you know, it's so pronounced when you're a kid, like they're, they're young and they're talented and they're famous and everybody loves them. And that's all you want when you're a kid. But not one of them says, I like, I wish I, all of them wanted to change it. All of them. I have long maintained that fame and attention and adulation is the most powerful drug in the world. It's more powerful than Mm -hmm. any other drug, any pharmaceutical company has come up with. And that Ergo, no child should be famous. It should just—it almost shouldn't be allowed. It should be like a a, a law because you would not give uh, a five-year-old a uh, a powerful opioid. You just would, or heroin. You just would never do right. it. I think it's heartbreaking. But same same could be said for social media. Yes, I mean that's yeah. a drug too. Yeah. Why 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 are kids allowed to just partake in this thing that's literally designed to get them addicted? Well, you did that. <laughs> Amazing Black Mirror episode, Nosedive, that you co-wrote with Mike Schur. And I thought that every if you haven't seen that episode of Black Mirror, uh, check it out, Nosedive with Bryce Dallas Howard. It is fantastic. And I think it is one of the best. Yes, you are slight. There's like a slight exaggeration, which is, I think, one of the things Black Mirror is so good at. But you guys took social media and you took it to not really that much further than where we are right now. You took it maybe 15 years into the future or maybe five. And you saw how completely obliterating it is to a human identity. Because it, it changes your behavior because you're now interacting I mean, this is sort of like a quote from Jaron Lanier, who's like a great, he's just a great thinker on this subject. He's in, he speaks a lot in that movie, social, The Social Dilemma. But, but, you know, you're now taking this third party that's controlling and changing and manipulating and interfering with the behavior between pe- two people. Right. Which is like that, that episode is about that, which is like you will change your behavior based on the consequences of behavior as is told to you by this. Yes algorithm. Well, I love that episode and had no idea, did not know that you had co-written it. And oh, then, uh, yeah, you loved so, it before. Yes. And then when it. I heard you had, uh, there was That's a little jealousy and envy when I heard that you had <laughs> been involved. And uh, so anyway, we'll discuss that at another time. You're really hurt. I'm so sorry. Well, whatever. I don't like being outdone <laughs> left and right. Uh, but that's what we've got going here. I guess you do it all. And I do one thing. Um, <laughs> Jesus, this took a turn. Uh, let's wrap up what we've learned from Rashida Jones, which is no child should be famous. Uh, we must love ourselves. Watch out for social media. It all, everything in moderation. Uh, White Claw is uh, the drink <laughs> that you should be looking for, kids. And This uh, feels like the strangest wrap-up of my personality <laughs> ever. But I'll take it for today. This is just for today. Can we say this just is for today. today's version and of I what guess I And I guess it's creepy if a man rubs a hole into his breast pocket so that he can rub his nipple on a subway and people think he's just looking. And they call it a nip. It's more creepy that he calls it a nipple pocket, to be real honest. Well, I just call it a nip pocket. And, uh, nip pocket. Um, Rashida Jones, I adore you and I, I, I really admire you and uh, I, I very happy for you. So thank you very much for doing this. That's really. Nice. This was so fun. I could have done this for hours, but... Well, then let's do four more hours. Well, uh, I got to go. I um, <laughs> and I really, uh, this is really fun. Thank I really you. apologize. Uh, there's a pony and um, some chocolates and some wine headed your way. And uh, I just really apologize so for awkward. the. Don't worry. I will. It's, it's the time we live in, you know. Mm, no, it's an engineering studio, sound studio. It should have worked. Uh, uh, I'm going to go uh, rip some people some new assholes. Um, no, I'm kidding. Whoa, no, whoa. no, I'm serious. I'm a, such a chill guy. I would never do that. People love what? working for me, right, Sona? 
<laughs> Did you see you're a chill guy? I'm such a chill yeah. guy. I'm All MC right. Chill. All right. <laughs> Seems like it. Uh, oh, God. I hate when she bites into fruit. It's just I'm, so. I'm bookending it with fruit. Yeah. It just seems. I love fruit. Oh, that's you forgot to mention that. I love fruit. And you love fruit. And you love biting into it into a very sensitive microphone. Hey, Rashida, I hope I see you Sorry. soon. And um, Same. Yeah. Same. You're the best. I really am. Fun. Let's, we're just going to put that on a loop. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's go to the voicemail bag and listen to some calls from the people. What do you guys say? Mm-hmm. Yes, let's do it. A few episodes back, you joked about how you weren't even given a name in your family because you had so many kids right away. <laughs> and That's so right. this voicemail is pertaining to that. Okay. Hi, everybody. I just wanted to share a little tidbit. I was listening to you very intently talk about how Irish families stopped naming their children. I married a 100% Irish man. He was the fourth child of six. And recently, we were looking to apply for dual citizenship for he and our children. So he had to pull his birth certificate. And I shit you not. His parents never gave him a first name. He's 55 years old, and he's just found out that he is baby Steven. That's it. I know it was a little funny, but it's not. It's a real thing. Thanks, guys. Love you. Okay, let me make something very clear. Yeah, I was joking, but I was also not joking. All jokes are based in reality. And yes, the family I grew up in, kids started coming fast and furious and things got a little chaotic. Mm -hmm. I mean, kids were, every day you'd go into the bathroom and be a new person there and you'd say, who are you? And they'd be like, who am I? Who are you? And it was just, that's how it is. So I do think my dad stalled on naming me for a little bit. Oh, okay. He told me, you know, that they, you know, I'm, I'm num- I was number three and they ended up having six. And I think by that point, they started to say like, well, I don't know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. What's the rush? And so um, I think it's when he was saw the movie Conan the Barbarian <laughs> in uh, 1980 that he said, hey, that works. And I think at the, at the time I was, you know, 13. Yeah. You uh, didn't have a name what's that? that long? I didn't have a name. Oh, I'm sorry. What did everyone call you? Uh, they called me Baby O'Brien. Okay. It was just Baby <laughs> O'Brien. And they called me that up until, I think, I was 33. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, I did get a name fairly quickly. Uh, it took my dad a, a little while, but he came up with a name. But I, I, I sympathize with this woman. Yeah. Uh, she found out what I already knew, which is the Irish we go for uh, quantity over quality. Right. Uh, let's just have a lot of kids and one of them will do something. Okay. That's that's the idea. And who cares what their name is? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, your family especially, it was you, you don't have that much of a difference between your siblings. No. Time-wise. I'm born, I think, five months after my brother Luke. Oh. Which we've, we've cons- scientists came and talked to my parents <laughs> and it was uh, it was in the paper. It was in the local paper. <laughs> we're, we're spaced about five months apart no one understood it yeah that's like kangaroos can have a baby being birthed but one like warming up in the oven yes like an assembly line no it's true it's how they make the the burgers at any fast food restaurant you <laughs> you have to have one warming on the conveyor belt while another is finished cooking uh so yeah no i think biological sense this is true i, I and i'm not even uh this is not a joke oh it's not a joke okay. no 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 yeah, people yeah, yeah. from oh. scientists from around the world visited my parents and 
said, you're having these children five months apart. <laughs> Luke was almost done when I was being formed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was telling me in the womb, don't touch my stuff. <laughs> he was saying like, that's, you know. Hey, that stuff over there is mine, and that's my poster, and, you know, don't touch it. And I couldn't wait for him to move out. Yeah. And then uh, I got to have Stupid. I got to have a couple of months on my own in there once he was gone. So I took down his posters, because he was into Star Trek, and I was into Star Wars, so then I put up mine. Anyway, this is very strange and disturbing riff. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, but it's true. It's really weird. It's all true. I w- all six children in my family... We're born in a three-year period. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a true story. We were all born in a three-year period, and no one understands how it happened. Uh, so you were, like, sharing an apartment, yeah, basically. that's all it is. And then one moved out, you know and what another it was? one came in. It was the original Friends. <laughs> it was the original Friends. There was six of us, and we were all in one apartment, and people were wondering, you know, how could they afford that womb in New York City? Yeah. Uh, it's, that's stupid. I took it too far. You took it way too far. I it know. Makes the door is a funny no color. Sense, okay, that's ridiculous. Names. Yeah, I know. We're talking about names. Yeah. I do think that your parents naming you Conan, it's almost as if they knew you were going to be famous, and they're like, let's name this one something different. Or, I, well, I was the only one that had, uh, like, sort of, of bright copper red hair. Oh, okay. So I think they just said, what? What is this? <laughs> My mom said I looked like a little orangutan when I was born. <laughs> That's not true. She did. She said, did she really? You know what she said? She said I looked like a little, this is a true story. My mom said, you look like a little fat Buddha with a tuft. This is what she said. You look like a, you look like a little fat Buddha with a tuft of orange hair. Oh, no. That's what she said. <laughs> and then they, they must have said, oh, my God, what happened? You know, there's always oh. one pancake that just looks weird. Yeah. And they just were like, oh, my God. And then they, my dad said, let's stall for time on what to name it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, uh, he um, he came up with Conan. So I think they did think this one seems strange. Yeah, OK. Aren't you glad, though, that your name is Conan? I am. I don't really. I'm not a fan of my last name. What? Really? I don't like O'Brien. It's just so common. I, I will it, say I don't like the apostrophe. No, the apostrophe yeah. is a mess. And when I go yeah. to any time they have to enter my name into a computer, any if I go to, a, you yes. know, you go to the airport or whatever, if you don't put the apostrophe in or you do put the apostrophe yes. in, basically I'm on a terrorist watch list because I have an <laughs> apostrophe in my name. Yes. I've been. Did a, you ever think of going by Conan of Brian and just get rid of the apostrophe? <laughs> what? what a perfect suggestion. <laughs> I am Conan of Brian. It sounds so regal. You will seat me now in my aisle seat that will accommodate Uh, my long legs. I am Conan of Brian. No, uh, that's what I... Yeah. I don't want to disparage people with apostrophes in their last name because there are a lot of you, but working for you, I don't know if you can put it in the computer. I don't know. Like, there's certain things where I have to search for you. It's like, there's a space or there's no space. It just... No, it's insane. It makes my life difficult. Also, I just don't... This sounds like I'm tooting my own horn but I'm a fan of the New York Times crossword puzzle. Yes. And I was doing the crossword puzzle yesterday and one of the questions I'm doing the crossword puzzle and it's just said, O'Brien of late night TV. The fact that I couldn't get it oh, no. uh, was a oh, little, no. probably a sign of dementia. But um, no, I was in there. So I, I think you just did a humble brag in a way that you were like, oh my God, I was in the New York Times crossword puzzle yesterday and I could barely, like, did you do that yeah, on purpose? Yeah, five letters across, he who humble brags. Yeah, I know. Listen, <laughs> it would be a humble brag, but I've been in there <laughs> quite a bit. Oh, okay, there it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I there love doing is. the crossword and I, you know, I I feel like I'm cheating when they put me in there. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Um, it's just so like, oh, yesterday I was in the crossword. Well, I'm sorry, I was. I don't know how to New tell the story. Times. I don't know how to tell the story without telling you yeah. that I was in the crossword puzzle, but the clue was O'Brien of Late Night TV and I just saw my last name and I went, uh. Come on. Like, your first name is so, I don't want to say weird, but it's... Like, if you were Conan O'Hurley, it'd be too much. (laughs) Well, Conan O'Brien is just as bad. Conan O'Brien. I mean, a leprechaun would be embarrassed by that name. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's so Irish. Do you know what I mean? The the Conan O'Brien. It's trying so hard to tell you that I'm completely Irish. Yeah. And uh, I could see how you would think it's a humble brag. Mm -hmm. My point wasn't that I'm in the crossword puzzle. My point is I saw my last name 
and wasn't thrilled. I just was looking at it and thinking, yeah, it's just such a common and I don't know why, but I I do want people to take away that I'm in the New York Times crossword puzzle. And I think that's, if that comes out of this story, Mm -hmm. there's nothing I can do to stop you from hearing that information. Yep, we got got it. New York Times crossword, multiple times, many times. Hard to find a day I'm not in it. In fact, I think I'm in it every day. Okay. I think it hurts the puzzle. I'm in it so much. Yeah. I think I've been in it. That's enough. 600 days in a row. That's enough. New York Times crossword puzzle. That's enough. We're good. Set a record. We got it. Historic. Okay, that's enough. They should stop doing it because everyone knows the answer by now. Okay, that's good. We got the picture. Too easy. Got the picture. Historic. That's enough. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.